0: There is a popular question that is often asked to those who run. The question is a simple one. Why? That's it. There's there's really one word to runners. It's why do you run? Why is it that you feel the need to run and end up right where you started like how why is that in you and and what do you like about it and what's good about it and and obviously for me several years ago I was kind of at the point in my life where gym memberships weren't an option time wasn't an option and so stepping off the front porch as much as I hated the idea of running it was what I had to do 45 minutes later I ended up right back where I started but I felt better somehow uh, it's interesting if you read about running, and especially in the United States, there are spikes in those who run, in the numbers who run. There were two spikes right after we entered into World War I, and there was another spike right after 9-11. And a lot of different writers and um, thinkers kind of accredit our desire to run, when we're afraid. We run when we're afraid. We run when things are out of control because running is something we can control, right? Like, if you ask runners, they like it's just them. You don't have to depend on anyone else. You don't have to lean on a team. You don't have to listen to a coach. You know what you're doing, and you go and you do it, and you feel better about it. So... Another question, why do you run from God? Not everyone you, I'm not talking about y'all, I'm talking about each one of us. Why do you run from him? Why do you avoid his commands? Why do you avoid his truth? Why do you pursue your own If he exists, why do you avoid meeting with him? Why do you avoid having somebody in your life that would actually speak his words to you? Why do you avoid life with people who are trying to listen to God? Why do you run from him? You know, I don't necessarily know if I have... The answers to all of those things, but I do know that when we look at the book of Jonah, he is someone who must come face to face with some of those questions. And I don't know if you will or not. I don't know if you will actually consider why do you run from him, but I hope that you will in the next three weeks. I hope you'll take a deep look at some of the things that you maybe have never said out loud, but that. God already knows. So in your running from him, why do you run? God speaks, and as Christ followers, we have an opportunity to hear what he said. I don't have time to go into all the apologetics. And I, when, I mean, when I say apologetics, I don't mean apologizing for the Bible. I don't. <laughs> I mean the evidences that would support the text that we hold in our hands is actually what we were meant to hold in our hands. But I do know that when we read these words, we have an option. We have an option to say, God, I will obey what you have said, or God, I'm going to run from what you have said. Those are our choices. And many of us, well, let's just not say many, let's say all. (laughs) All of us have run from his words. All of us have hidden from his words. All of us have attempted to come up with words of our own in place of his words, and there are consequences that come with both running to him and running from him. There will always be a cost. Only one offers the greater reward. So as we jump into the book of Jonah this morning, um, there is, for those of you that sit in this church, there are two different camps when people approach the book of Jonah, one is that it is not a historical narrative and that it is a parable or a fictional tale. And really, when you get to the root of the idea that maybe this was a fictional parable, it is basically their disbelief in the supernatural that is described in the book of Jonah. And as I I have said, I am not opposed to logic and reason and the apologetics and the defending of the faith and studying why the scriptures be what they are That being said, for the Christ follower, you must start with the resurrection and work backwards. What I mean by that is, if the resurrection is possible, if Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is true, and it does matter, and a man who claimed to be God died on a cross, was buried, and came back to life, that's a miracle. That's incredible. That is the power of God to salvation. That's what the scripture says. It is him doing all of these things to save a rebellious people. Now, that is a miracle. The greater miracle, in my mind, is a rebellious heart believing that. Okay? So if you can start with the resurrection and go, you know what? Jesus died to save me? The fact that Jonah got puked up on a beach doesn't seem that big of a deal. You know, in the line of, of Jewish writing, Jonah does not fit the fictional or parable format. It's too lengthy, the time that it covers, the names that are mentioned, the history that is discovered. And so I really am one who comes from the camp of a historical narrative. And the main reason I would suggest the historical narrative is because Jesus quoted it as historical. You know, the two most challenged historical events in the Old Testament, the story of Noah, the story of Jonah, Jesus was intentional to speak about. Jesus was intentional to mention these moments as pointers to him and his life. So that's why I would say that I have to wrestle with that pesky Jesus, always changing the way I have to think about things. And I hope that you will as we look at this story of Jonah. Now, Jonah is one of the minor prophets. For those of you maybe that are kind of Jonah, big deal, whatever, minor prophet, it's not because he was shorter in stature. It's just because his book is shorter. It is four chapters. You don't even have to flip a page. For those of you that don't like page flipping, you don't have to. It's four chapters. But I do want you to know something about the book of Jonah. Jonah. Jonah is not about a water beast, fish, or whale. In these four chapters, four times that's mentioned. Well, that seems like a pretty good odd, right? Like one time per chapter, maybe it is about the fish. Nineveh is mentioned in the book of Jonah, which you'll see in just a second, eight times. Seems like a lot, right? Four chapters, eight times, high high percentage. Jonah is actually mentioned 18 times in four chapters seems like a pretty big deal. Like, maybe the book is about Jonah. God is mentioned over 40 times in four chapters. This story is not about a wicked city. This story is not about a man who we will see runs from the Lord. This story is not about some sailors or a large fish. This story is about God, His compassion, His mercy, His judgment, all on display for you and I to consider. Now, as the people of Israel would hear this story, there would be some things that they would have to decide. For you and I, we don't always understand the mentality of God is with us like Israel did. But what we will see is that God is not only with us, but he's for them as well. See, we like the us versus them mentality, right? Like, it's all over social media. Us versus them. That's what we do. That's how we live. And what we are going to see is that God won't let us live there. And if you have an us versus them mentality... In the next three weeks, you may want to stay home because he will not let us. He will not let us. For Israel, they would be having to ask the question how do I respond to a God who goes after people that don't know him and do not look like me, act like me, talk like me? How would we respond? How would we respond thinking we've got the market cornered on God, like he is creator of everything and he chose us out of all the nations of the world. We're so special. But wait a minute. How in the world is he going to do what he's going to do? I don't know if I like that. And we'll see. Jonah's attitudes reflect that quite a bit in these four simple chapters. So let's just read. Jonah 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish, He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart, fearing for their lives. The desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold." So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What should we do to you (laughs) to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death, O Lord. You have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Let's pray. God, we love you, and I just ask that in these next few moments that your pursuit and your announcement that there are wicked things in this world is good news for us because you have provided a way home You've made an announcement that there is a way to live life and there is a way not to live life. And I ask that as your people, if we claim to be yours, that we would have ears to hear this morning. And Lord, I do pray that you would soften hearts that maybe have been on the run. Lord, help us know that you love us most. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, just a little context here. Jonah is mentioned in one of the historical books in the book of 2 Kings. So he is mentioned as a real person who lived during a real time in Israel's history. And he actually lived in a time uh, right after Elijah and Elisha. And the kings of Israel weren't so good. They really weren't. weren't. They weren't the nicest guys. But God, for some reason, chose to bless Israel and keep them uh, afloat and to actually be in a a time of peace and prosperity. And so Jonah firsthand was living in a time when Israel was actually pretty good. Things were pretty comfortable. Things were going well for him. And then he gets this call. He hears these words from the Lord, get up and go. Now, there is a reason some people like to say, well, maybe Jonah ran because he just didn't want to be uncomfortable, and things were difficult, and they would be harder if he did, and he had to get up, and he'd have to flee his cushy life. I want you to know the reason Jonah didn't go is much, much darker. I want you to know that the reason Jonah doesn't go, and we'll get to it in just a minute, is much more telling of the human heart, and it's gross. Jonah didn't run because things were going to get uncomfortable for him. Jonah also did not ha- was not asked to go by God to Nineveh because Nineveh was a threat to Israel. They weren't at this time in history. The Assyrian, the Assyrian reign of things had not really fully developed and become all the power that it was known to be. And so God wasn't sending Jonah to Nineveh so that Israel could avert a disaster we're actually going to see that God just sent Jonah to Nineveh because of his care for Nineveh. You see, a lot of the reasons that we'll look for to not talk to people or go to people, it's pretty dark. And Jonah has a lot to work through, as we'll see in in this scripture. When it comes to running, my guess is that all of us relate to running from God. Uh, Verse 3 Uh, In Jonah chapter 1, just listen to the words again. But Jonah. Now, here's the thing. Anytime God gives a command, anytime he issues a statement, anytime he says words, and the response is, But God! Nothing good comes from that. Now, yes, I do understand asking questions. I do understand kind of wrestling with, but when we add but God after any commands from the Lord, we're going to find ourselves in trouble, There is a cost that comes with saying, but God. And what I mean by that is when God speaks, we speak back. But what about what my friends say, God? Right? That's what we do, right? We read a clear command from the Lord, and then we try and say something about it, and then someone we love and know dearly suggests that that's not a good idea or that's wrong, right? We do. We listen. But what about what my professor said? Because they are the end all, right? Right? professors and teachers they know everything and so everything they say right but what about what they said but what about my personal preference god i don't like what i'm reading what about what about what i think says the creation to the creator what about what i think, says the creation to the creator what what about what I feel, right? We are all about the feels in this generation, aren't we? How things make us feel. But I don't like things that don't make me feel good. That doesn't make me feel good, Lord. What you have asked me to do right here doesn't make me feel good. So I'm not going to do it. What about my desires, Lord? My desires are different than yours, God. They just don't mesh right now. So you and I... Nah. What about what everyone else is doing? Right? We're all just giant middle school versions of ourselves. I just want you to know that. We really are. Like the person you were in middle school, you're a lot like them today. (laughs) But what about what everyone else is doing, Lord? But what about what Facebook and Twitter have to say, Lord? And I can hear what you're saying. Because my heart does the same thing. But if he is God, I hear what you're saying, and I do not doubt that those people are saying those things, for we knew that they would. I don't doubt that the words that you're saying are coming at you, are coming at you. They are. They're real. They're there. They're present. The question is, who are we listening to? Who do we want to lead us to life? There is a cost, whichever you choose to do, and if that is running from God or running to Him, it will cost you. Some of you that have tried to put into practice the things God has asked us to do, you felt the weight of the cost. But some of you who have run life has not been a bed of roses. Now you won't admit that because you're prideful just like I am. But there is a cost to obeying and to running, but only one comes with the greater reward. Jonah is a visual example of where saying, but God can actually take us. I wanted to show you this map because it just proves the point of how far Jonah wanted to go. All right, Nineveh It's 550 miles from where he was supposed to be, okay? Where he was at, 550 miles, a month and a half journey is where he'd have to go. Dude hikes his way down to Joppa, which writers talk about when, when Scripture uses uses talk about down, they're talking about the dissension and the, the, the going deeper into their separation from God. So for them to use the word down to Joppa and not south to Joppa, that's really where they're pointing to. So as he heads down to Joppa, he's running farther from God, and then he decides to try and jump a ship to Tarshish, which is 2,500 miles from where he's supposed to be. Ultimately that's kind of that's where Spain is it was as far on the other side of the earth as he could possibly go. Visually Jonah is us on the run. Like what lengths do you go to to avoid God? Like what what do you do to avoid him? Because we know that the real reason for Jonah running wasn't wasn't because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. It's because he didn't want to be where God was says it multiple times. He tried to flee the presence of God. He thought God lived in Israel and God was in the box there and if he could get farther away from God, then he wouldn't have to listen to God and he wouldn't have to talk to God and he wouldn't have to hear God in his ear. And he ran. Thankfully, this story isn't about be like Jonah. I hope you get the picture. We're not saying be Jonah's. Thankfully, the story that we're going to see revealed in Jonah is about God's pursuit and his authority over all things. Everything. You are going to be baffled at the mercy God shows Jonah. You're going to be laughing at the idea that God would show Jonah mercy. Not just Nineveh, but Jonah. God's grace halts Jonah from running. God hurls a storm onto the sea and it's shaking things up and the the ship is about to come apart and the sailors are freaking out and they are very afraid of this storm. So in their sailor ways, they begin to try chucking things off the boat and they're messed up and everything's going on. And honestly, these guys lived on the sea. So for them to be panicking as much as they were, this storm had to have been a big deal. And in verse six, we find Jonah asleep. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. When disaster is present, Jonah has cut himself off from the world. It's fairly reflective of today. Right, church? See, here's what we like to do as the church. The world is raging... And there is a storm. And we see people just like the sailors who may not know this God we claim to worship. Crying out to their gods, throwing things overboard in their ways to try and halt the storm. In their ways that they know, that they've learned, that they've seen, they're trying to stop this storm. And you know what we do as Christ followers? We sit back and tell them how wrong they are. We say, yeah, that plan's not going to work. That's stupid. We sit in our basements and we Facebook troll people's ideas on how to stop things. And we sit on on the computer and we start typing things. We start telling the world how, how silly their efforts are. And we sleep in the bottom of the boat when disaster is present. We're sleeping. And it took a pagan sailor to go down into the bottom of the boat and go, dude, storm, do something. The grace of God halted Jonah in an amazing way that I don't think, and you don't think, Jonah deserves. But God doesn't work like we work. Takes a man who knows nothing about Jonah's God, demanding that he pray to him on their behalf to stir him up. You see, when we reject God's word, which has happened on a pretty high, high level in the American church, we actually begin to reject the things that God cares about, and that is human life. We begin to reject and make excuses for The way we live, because we like our way of life, right? We like our stuff. We like what we do. We like how we've got our patterns established. We like what we've built with our own hands. We like, we like, we like. And when the rest of the world is raging, and the world is using all the efforts they know how to do, the church sleeps. But what if she woke up? Reasons behind Jonah's decision to not obey God Decisions to run, decisions to hide, decisions to not want to go to Nineveh. And I told you that they were dark reasons. And I'm okay with jumping ahead to chapter 4. I hope you guys will read this book many times over and you will know more about this book than I do in the next three weeks. But in Jonah chapter 4, this is why Jonah chose not to go. So he complained to the Lord about it. Because you'll see, and I want you to read it, you can read it later. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. So when you read this story and Jonah goes and preaches one of the shortest sermons recorded in history, I think it's eight words. I think he did it on purpose. I think he was short with his words because you give a pastor a chance to go and stand on a corner, they're going to say a billion words. But he says eight words, and I love it. In God's mercy and power and kindness, an entire city goes, oh boy. And we see this beautiful picture of a nation turning, and Jonah gets mad. I told you Jonah's reason for not going was much darker than avoiding comfort and conflict and all those different things. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because he did not want Nineveh to be shown mercy. This is straight to the human heart, man. This is us having to confront and Israel having to confront how quickly would they repent? And they knew God's story and compassion and grace. Yet Nineveh hears eight words and they repent. Jonah is the first and only in a few unique ways. Jonah is the only prophet who was ever called to go outside the nation of Israel and take a message to people who were not gods. But he's also the first to actually conceal that message and run the other direction. This is not a story about Jonah. This is a story about about the grace and the sovereignty of God at work in a world that does not know Him. People who ask for no mercy from God on others do not know that God's mercy has been shown to them, and they do not understand God's compassion and mercy that has been shown. And I'm not talking about what-ifs and what-abouts. Who is it that personally you are hoping God does not change? just so you can stay angry at them? Who are you hoping that God doesn't show mercy to? Who are you hoping that he doesn't change anything about them and they just head off into destruction? See ya, sucker! Who are you hoping that God does not change? You see, Jonah isn't about Jonah. It points straight to the compassion and mercy and pursuit Of a holy God. And still, God doesn't give up on Jonah. He doesn't give up on the boys in the boat either. They draw lots. They find out that Jonah is the reason this terrible storm is on them. They ask Jonah 20 questions and try to figure out who he is. Jonah answers two of them. He says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the God who made everything. (laughs) You love the sailors, right? You worship the God who made everything. So why aren't you crying out to him right now? Why don't you seek him on our behalf? Maybe he'll step in and save us. If we weren't about to die, I'd kill you myself. It takes a pagan sailor to see that this man, Jonah, who claimed to worship the God of everything, was the one who needed to cry out. And he did on their behalf. And so he asked them, so what do we do now? And Jonah says, just toss me into the water, oh noble Jonah. See, yeah, I think Jonah actually was saying, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. I'm going to save these sailors, and I'm going to die and not have to go to Nineveh. <laughs> See what I did there, God? <laughs> gotcha! <laughs> Bazinga, you know? I don't think Jonah knew <laughs> God's plans for Jonah. I don't think he knew that and I think he had other plans but what we see on top of all this the humor in this moment the sailors actually go oh no 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 no! we won't throw you over we care too much about human life we're gonna do things our way we're gonna try and row against this storm Jonah we're gonna we're gonna protect you and keep you in this boat and then they realize we can't do it see the sailors really are telling of us right Like when God offers salvation the way he offers it, what do we say? No, 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 God, we are way more compassionate than you are. We have better ways to save ourselves and people, right? We do, we argue with God and we try and say we are more compassionate than he is and that's what comes from us. And the sailors, obviously, they're like, well, we heard what God's plan was, but we don't want it. We're gonna actually row, 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 row our boat and they see that they can't and so they do. They toss him into the sea, pagan sailor sees that these things change, the water instantly calms, and it's laughable because as we sit there and consider the ridiculousness of Jonah's rebellion, the compassion of God stands out even brighter. His ability to rescue, his ability to step in, his ability to even rescue sailors who knew nothing of him. Can you imagine the testimony of the sailors? How did you come to know the Lord? Was it in the preaching of a good man who stood before you? Actually, no, this guy was a jerk. (laughs) But then we threw him in the water and then the ocean calmed and we were like, this is crazy. (laughs) We will worship this God who can shut it all down. And that's how we came to know him. (laughs) In verse 16, we see the sailors are awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. The sailors are the first to respond to God's grace, not Jonah. The sailors were the first to see the power of God and repent And say, this is the God we have been looking for. We've been trying with our efforts. We've been calling out. We've been throwing things over the board. We have been trying everything we can to save ourselves. But we can't. God, you did. We're yours. For better or for worse. We curse like sailors. But you're going to be our God. (laughs) And that's how God invited them in. But that's not the only gift of grace in this chapter. Verse 17 says this. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. But that's a story for next week. But what about us? How would Israel hear these words? How do you hear these words from Jonah chapter 1? Maybe your heart identifies with the wicked and harsh Ninevites. Maybe your wickedness has been presented before the Lord and he has pronounced judgment that you are guilty. We are guilty. I want you to know it's God's grace that he announces our guilt. I want you to know that it is his good news that announces that we have fallen short. Why? Because he tells us how that bridge is gapped. But you got to know there's a gap. Maybe your heart identifies with Nineveh today and you're the one who's hearing, I got some things in my life. Maybe you find yourself the sailors. Those that were ignorant to who this God of everything really is, and you're doing your own thing, trying to save yourself, crying out to the things that you like to cry out to. Maybe you're throwing stuff overboard. Maybe you're throwing stuff in the water, trying to save ship. Whatever it is you're trying to do, maybe this God who made the sea and the land and everything on it is inviting you to trust him. Maybe. Maybe you find yourself Jonah intentionally running in the opposite direction of God's call and you have every intent of avoiding him. As we close this morning and the band comes and we worship, thankfully through the book of Jonah we are made very aware of God's gift of salvation to those who least expect it to be for them. Thankfully, his pursuit of the rebel And his love for the nations comes shining through in this book. As for the sailors, they started with a fear of the storm, and they ended with a fear of the one who makes the storm, and the one who calms the storm. But maybe this morning you aren't Jonah running. Maybe you're Jonah sleeping. Maybe you're asleep in the boat while the world is attempting to avoid disaster. Maybe today God will halt the runner and maybe he will wake the sleeper is what I've been praying. Because when that sleeper is awoken, awakened, cries out to God. That sleeper wakes up and cries out to the one who can save us. Ask him to save both you and others. Know that it is God's hand that has halted you this day. Do not harden your hearts when you hear his voice. You can run, but you cannot hide. This morning, Jonah was living a good life. He was doing a good work, and he heard a new call from God to go do a new work in a new place, and he said no. Thankfully, Jesus is better than Jonah. Jesus, living the best life, in the best place, doing the best thing possible, living in the presence of God, asked by God to go and do a new work in a new place with people that would ultimately reject him, and Jesus said yes. Jesus is a much better Jonah. Jesus moves us from being a people who only care about us to caring more about the people around us and what he is doing around us. Jonah is not about a fish. Jonah is not about Jonah. Jonah is not about Nineveh. Jonah is completely fixed on the ridiculous lengths that God will go to halt people in their sin. The one who loves us most has made a way for us to be with him. And it is not by works, and there is no distance too far, that the cross doesn't bridge. That is why we will boast in Christ alone, because he has made this return possible. Let's pray. Father, you are the one who made the land and the sea. You have made everything, and you have declared that you are God. And this morning as your creation, we We sit here and stand here considering to obey or to run. And I pray that we would understand it is even your grace that halts us from running. It is even your mercy that would invite us to stop where we are and to consider you. And Lord, I do pray for those in this room that have been living that sailor's life of just trying anything and everything pray that you would reveal that you are the one who calms the storms. Lord, for those sleeping, literally sleeping, while the world is raging, would you wake us up so that we might cry out to you to save us and to save others. It's in your name we ask all these things.